Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Ephesians chapter 4 this morning as we continue through our series in the book of Ephesians. And as you're turning there, I'll go ahead and tell you, last week we had a great time in Cincinnati, Harrison, Ohio area. Uh, There's about 20 of us that went, and we were able to encourage Grace Church. We helped them put on a block party where we served over 220 people or more. Uh, on Friday night, and then on Sunday, we were able to be a part of their worship service, and Austin will be here next week, so you'll have a chance to meet him and talk with him. Um, Another thing I want to make you aware of is on August 6th, from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., we do have a uh, volunteer registration and appreciation dinner. Uh, As we talk about our ministry in the Lord, in Christ, over the last two weeks ago, and then this morning, We're talking about how we serve and how we serve together, and so let's serve the Lord together, and I want to feed you and thank you for what you do, and it's really hard to order food if I don't know how many people are coming, so if you don't mind scanning that code so that I have a number, that would be awesome. I have about 80 of you that are serving currently that have not done that, so I'm not going to say any names, but there's about 80 of you, so you're not alone, so if you can go ahead and do that. And then most importantly, tonight, we're going to have a very special night. If you've been at Mediview for a long time, you would remember a thing that we used to do during the summer called Secret Church. Anybody remember Secret Church? There was about five of you. Good. So... Um, so what we would do is we would have a missionary come in and speak to us, and we would meet in different locations. And so tonight we're actually going to meet here, and we're going to have a night dedicated to worship and prayer. And Shannon Brown, he's, he's a friend of mine, he is actually a pastor in Hong Kong, and he's going to be here to help kick us off tonight. He's going to talk about the church in Hong Kong. He's going to talk about the church in mainland China. He's going to lead us in a congregational prayer for the, the global church. And then there's going to be an opportunity for you as an individual or as a family there is child care if needed, to go through four different prayer stations as, as a church. So we'll work through the church, you know, not all go into the same one at the same time, but that'll give you an opportunity to pray for Indonesia, as you even saw in the video. It's the most uh, Muslim nation per capita. And so we're going to pray over that, and then we'll work our way back in here, and then Shannon will then talk to us about the persecuted church and how even through, you know, pandemics and persecution, he builds his church. And so we will, we will worship the Lord for what he's doing in, in different nations. And so tonight's a very special night. And then if that doesn't convince you to be here, we will have pizza in the pavilion afterwards. So if that, that's just icing on the cake there. All right, so Ephesians chapter 4. As we've worked through this, let me go all the way back to Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So as Paul has gotten to this point, chapter 4, he's now made a shift from doctrine to duty. And so what does it look like to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Where first was, it's corporate. There's a corporate unity. There's a a unity that we've been given by the the triune God that now we are to visibly maintain as a body of believers. And so to walk worthy means that we walk in corporate unity with one another. That the church glorifies God in the way that it is unified with one another. So our ministry in Christ is to maintain unity. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Today we're going to look at grow in maturity and preserve purity. There are different aspects to our ministry as believers. So to maintain unity. How do we do this? Paul in Romans chapter 12, 9 through 18, really gives a clear description of what it looks like to be a believer and to work out this ministry amongst one another. Let love be genuine. 
Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You hear the call that Paul puts on believers that as you engage in a community of believers, you're called to maintain the visible aspect of unity. And so to do that, we must personally grow in maturity. To grow in maturity, you cannot impart what you do not possess. We're called to be disciples who make disciples. And if we're not growing in our, our knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ, how are we to impart that on to others? Colossians 1.28, Paul would say, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You have a ministry that is to be a disciple maker. As you maintain the unity of the body of believers, you're also called to personally grow in your maturity so that you can impart and preach him to others. And as you preach him to others, you also warn others of the, the failures that are in this world, the things that would try to trap you, and you're going to lead others into a deeper understanding of Jesus Christ. And you cannot impart what you do not possess. So we are to maintain unity Grow in maturity and preserve purity. Matthew Henry says the way to preserve the peace of the church is to preserve its purity. Jesus emphasized to his disciples that they were to be in this world, but not of this world. You remember this in John 17, his high priestly prayer is he's praying for those who would believe and Verses 16 through 17, he says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. What, what's interesting about this is not of the world isn't the destination we're striving for. It's where we already are in Christ. We are already separated. We are already different. We are already not of this world. But where is he sending us to? He's sending us into the world. So as we, as we talk about missions this month, we have a ministry that also takes place here as we visibly work on the unity of the body and also as we grow in our maturity and as we help disciple other people. But we're also called to not be of the world, so we're to preserve the purity that he has placed in us as we go out into the world so that we, we make a lasting difference. We, we're a witness to those who are living apart from Christ. It's a call for Christians to live differently than the world lives. It's a call for believers to live with a different set of moral norms and priorities than the world does. It's not a message of legalism or moralistic religious adherence where you dumb down Christianity to a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's a call to believers to live out their new identity in Christ. So today, as we look at our ministry and as I read these verses 12 through 24, we're going to see the unity, the maturity, and the purity that we're all called to in Christ. So let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into Scripture.
Father, we do come to you. We thank you, Lord, for your church. We thank you for how you've called us, you've equipped us, you've sealed us with your Holy Spirit. You've allowed us to be gathered together as a body of believers that would edify one another till we would grow in maturity, we would grow in our relationship with you, and so that we would be sent out into a world that desperately needs the truth. Father, I do pray that you would equip us in a way that ignites a passion to see others come to know you. We would not become complacent in our Christianity, but we would, we would pray, we would desire, we would long for those who are lost to come to a saving knowledge of you. That we would be a church that maintains unity, that we would be a church that grows in maturity as you would work in us, but also we would be one that preserves the purity that you've called us to live out. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old, your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is God's word. Your ministry in Christ is to pursue maturity. We are to pursue maturity. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, we must be also being equipped. We must be growing in our knowledge of Jesus until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the ministry of maintaining unity corporately is dependent upon pursuing spiritual maturity personally. If we are not personally pursuing spiritual maturity, we will lack in corporate unity. We will, we will lack. So if we claim to be spiritually mature because we have biblical information, if we claim to be spiritually mature because we were raised in church and we know all the Bible stories, but yet we still engage in acts of gossip, we still engage in acts of slander and malice, if we still engage in unforgiveness, if we still engage in... in in immorality and we still engage in the sins of this world but yet we claim to be mature in Christ then those two don't don't go hand in hand because eventually that unity will be disrupted because we will sin against one another it's like when you have kids in the nursery and you're trying to teach them to share a toy right 
If you've ever served in the nursery and one, one child gets the toy and another kid wants that toy, they, you, don't, you can't sit them down and say, now I need you to be mature about this, okay? I need you to be mature about this. We don't need to be fighting. We don't need to be doing this. But this is what happens oftentimes in the church, that we begin to let our selfishness take over. And when we're not growing in maturity, we begin being dysfunctional in our unity. So how do we pursue spiritual maturity? Well, A, pursuing spiritual maturity leads to a progressive corporate unity. It's for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. This is how the early church was founded. All the way back in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you see where it started? It started with a devotion to the apostles' teaching. As they were devoted to spiritual maturity, as they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, then they began to experience corporate unity with one another. It wasn't until they were devoted to the apostles' teaching that they began to have fellowship with one another. And as they began to have fellowship with one another, they began to break bread with one another, meaning that they would remember the sacrifice of Christ together. And as they remembered the sacrifice of Christ together, they began to sacrifice. They began to put forth their possessions so that they could share with anybody who was in need. And as they began to experience this corporate unity because of personal maturity, the Lord began to add to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that amazing? That as we pursue personal maturity in Christ, that we begin to see its effects in the corporate unity of the body. And so we need to pursue spiritual maturity, which leads to a progressive unity. And B, we pursue spiritual maturity, which leads to progressive unity and a deeper knowledge of Christ. So as we're pursuing maturity, we begin to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is this goes far beyond a head knowledge. This is more of a relationship knowledge. You begin to know Christ more. The more time that you spend in God's Word, it's not the information that changes you. It's the transformation that changes you. It's that you begin to know Christ. You begin to know Him. And you begin to walk with Him. So this refers to a growing encounter with the Lord Jesus Himself. The more that you pursue maturity, the more that you pursue growing in Christ, the more you will know Christ. It's done by spending time in his word. Often it's one of the most neglected things in the life of a believer. There's a lot of things on our list of to-dos each and every week. And each and every morning we wake up with a whole list of things to do. And one of the, one of the things that quickly gets pushed to the side because we don't simply have enough time is spending time in his word. Growing in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, growing in that maturity. J. Vernon McGee, now he writes something that was kind of offensive, so I wanted to read it. He says, Where we are to give a good, clear-cut, intelligent witness to the world. I think the greatest sin in the local church today is the ignorance of the man sitting in the pew. He doesn't know the word of God, and that's a tragedy. 
I would hate to get into an airplane if the pilot didn't know any more about flying than the average church member knows about Christianity and the Word of God. The plane wouldn't make it. I think it would crash before it got 10 feet off the air. That is the condition of the church today. All believers need to be trained in the Word of God so that they can do the work of the ministry. Our personal pursuit of maturity in Christ enables us to do the ministry that he's called us to. So pursue spiritual maturity. It leads to progressive unity. We see it as a corporate body. It deepens our knowledge of Christ, and it leads to spiritual stability. He says there, verse 13, about halfway through, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Ray Stedman says God's overarching goal is to produce men and women who demonstrate the character qualities of Jesus Christ. God does not want a church filled with white-robed saints. He does not want a church filled with theological authorities of cultured or cultural clergymen. He wants a church filled with ordinary men and women who exemplify the extraordinary integrity, temperament, wholeness, Compassion, individuality, boldness, righteousness, earnestness, love, forgiveness, selflessness, and faithfulness of Jesus Christ. As we pursue Christ, as we pursue maturity in Christ, we see the corporate dimensions of that as it maintains a visible unity of the body. We see that we begin to understand who Christ is more and more. We know him personally, and as we do that, we are no longer tossed to and fro because the very character of Christ is being produced within us, so it lives out of us. Paul would say in Philippians 3, 12 through 15, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. As we mature in Christ, you know what becomes our focus? Christ. As we grow in Christ, as we mature in Christ, our focus becomes off the things of the past, and we begin to strive towards the future. What really matters all eternity, being focused on Jesus Christ. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. So here's my question. How does the church grow in maturity? By speaking truth in love. It, it gives you the answer right there. How, how do we grow in maturity? Truth and love. By speaking truth in love. Literally, John Stott says it means truthing in love. It means your entire life is one of truth and love towards other people. It includes notions of maintaining, living, and doing the truth. Thank God that there are those in contemporary church who have determined at all costs to defend and uphold God's revealed truth, but sometimes they are conspicuously lacking in love. 
When they think they smell heresy, their nose begins to twitch, their muscles ripple, and the light of battle enters their eyes. They seem to enjoy nothing more than a fight. Others make the opposite mistake. They are determined at all costs to maintain and exhibit brotherly love, but in order to do so, they are prepared even to sacrifice the central truths of revelation. Both of these tendencies are unbalanced and unbiblical. Truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love, and love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. How do we grow in maturity as believers? By preaching the truth to one another in love. When we encounter one another and we walk alongside one another and we disciple one another and we see that there's something that has creeped into one another's lives and we say, can I share with you truth out of love? Can I hold this up to you like a mirror? Because that's not how you learned Christ. Christ is to be producing in you something different than what, what you're doing right now. And so we mature when we proclaim the full word of God and his eternal truths to one another in love. When we hold each other accountable to scripture in love. When we guard each other by the sword of the spirit in love. When we are continually living and speaking and acting and interacting with one another in truth, in love. Not being hypocritical with one another, but genuine towards one another with truth and love. This is the ministry that we've been called to. You've been equipped to do this ministry, to walk alongside others, to, to bring corporate unity, maintain corporate unity, but also to grow personally in spiritual maturity. Here's the second part. Your ministry in Christ is to avoid futility. Verse 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. You cannot pursue maturity while simultaneously walking in futility. It, it just does not work that way. Believer, hear this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've chosen to walk in futility, you're not pursuing maturity. It, it doesn't matter how much scripture you know. If you've chosen to walk in disobedience to the word of God, you're not growing in maturity. The word futility here means of no purpose. It's actually the same word that is translated in the Septuagint as vain. And every time I hear the word vain, I think of the great theologian Carly Simon from 1972. You're so vain. I bet you think this song is about you. Don't you? Don't you? Every time I, th I just think of that, it's the same word. Avoid futility. It's the same word that is used in Ecclesiastes and the, where Solomon tried money, he tried knowledge, he tried women, he tried pleasure, he tried everything that this world offers. And what do you say? It's vanities of vanity. It's empty. It's worthless. And this is what he says you should avoid walking in emptiness. You should avoid chasing after the things of this world just like the unbelievers do because in the end you'll end up with nothing. Isn't this a true description of the world? The world tries to find success and happiness through money, through achievements, through education, through sex, through entertainment, through pleasures, and it's throwing itself at these things and it's coming up empty. And if you're a believer, why would you follow the same pattern? Why would you walk in the same manner. It says they are darkened, verse 18, in their understanding. 
alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So don't walk, no longer walk like the Gentiles walk. Well, what steps do they take? You think about this, if you're going to walk like the Gentiles walk, then what, what's the first step? Well, the first step is to avoid futility by avoiding the walk of willful rejection to God's word. The first step of walking like a Gentile is a willful rejection of God's word. I'm going to reject it. Step one of an unbeliever is to have an obstinate, stubborn, and willful rejection to God's known truth. It says they are darkened in their understanding. What does it mean to be darkened in your understanding? It means that you are incapable of reasoning through things from God's perspective. You're incapable of seeing things God's way because you're so consumed with seeing things your way. And so I see things my way, and that's the only way I want to see it, and so I'm going to take, I'm going to take a step in the direction of willful rejection to God's revealed truth. Same thing that happened in the garden. Adam and Eve, they knew the truth. They knew that they weren't supposed to do that, and they made a willful step towards rejecting God's truth. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, this is very similar to this, where Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God hates all sin, and he has a wrath towards all sin. Unfortunately, we tend to view sin as permissible, when it's us and we see it as punishable when it's done by someone else. And it leads to ungodliness. It means a wrong attitude towards God. To have a darkened understanding means to have a wrong attitude towards God and you are darkened in your ability to see things from his perspective. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Darkened in your understanding. Not only are you darkened in your inability to see things from God's perspective, but unbelievers love the darkness. Why do they love the darkness? Because they participate in things that they love in darkness. As John 3, 19 through 20, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. Why should we avoid futility? Because at one step in the direction of rejecting God's revealed word, his truth, shows that we would rather be in darkness than in light. I'd rather pursue pleasure than pursue truth. Sinners run from the light because they love the sins that they commit in darkness. So that was the first step. What's the second step? Well, avoid futility by avoiding a walk of hard-hearted suppression. So a willful rejection then leads to a second step of ignoring conviction because of a hard-heartedness. So I've decided to be disobedient, and now... I'm so far in, I don't want to be told to stop, so I'm just going to ignore conviction. I, I don't want to hear it. I, I, don't want to be, I don't want it to be exposed. I don't, I don't, that's your truth. This is my truth. These are things people say. And so they begin to say, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to avoid and ignore conviction. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Romans 1 again 
18 through 21, as he continues, let me pick up there in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is what the world's doing. The world is continually moving towards ungodliness and unrighteousness, trying to cover up, trying to hide, trying to suppress the truth of God, trying to not feel any conviction because they want to live in the darkness. When we suppress God, what we do is we try to elevate ourselves. So step one, willful rejection. Step two, I'm going to ignore conviction. And I'm going to suppress the truth so I can continue in this pattern of life, this vain, idolatrous mindset that will always take the target of morality and move it according to what I find necessary. So avoid these steps. Avoid the third step. Avoid futility by avoiding the walk of impurity and unrighteousness. Step three of an unbeliever is to become callous by giving themselves over to sensuality and the practice of every kind of impurity with unrighteousness. Meaning, you've now ignored conviction so long that you've taken the next step and you said, you know what? This is my life. I'm going to live in it. And what's shocking about this is that when Paul writes this, he's writing it to believers and he's saying, don't walk in the same pattern as unbelievers. Don't walk in willful disobedience. Don't ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life and don't just stay there as if it's okay. Because this is the pattern of the world, and you are not called to live like the world. They've become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Let's continue in Romans as we see this parallel passage. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen? For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Step three of walking like a Gentile is giving yourselves up to the lust and the impurities. But that is not the way you learned Christ meaning that Christ is the one that teaches you. Meaning that when you were taught the scriptures, Christ wrote his word on your heart. But that's not the way you were taught. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. If you are a believer in Christ, then this is not the pattern of life that you should follow. You should not walk in willful disobedience. Jerry Bridges, in one of my favorite books I ever read, The Pursuit of Holiness, he says, Too often we say we are defeated by this or that sin. Now, we are not defeated. We are simply disobedient. It might be good as if we stopped using terms victory and defeat to describe our progress in holiness. Rather, we should use terms of obedience and disobedience. When I say I am defeated by some sin, I am unconsciously slipping out from under my responsibility. I'm saying something outside of me has defeated me. But when I say I am disobedient, that places the responsibility for my sin squarely on me. We may, in fact, be defeated, but the reason we are defeated is because we have chosen 
to disobey. We pursue holiness. We pursue purity. And we do it with obedience. So how does being disobedient and walking like a Gentile in this world affect your ministry? How does it affect your call to evangelism? How does it affect your call to missions? Well, it affects your ministry because there is a moral component to Christianity that sets Christianity apart from everyone else in this world. And if the world looks at us and says, you're not so different from me, the effectiveness of our witness is undermined. We are to put off your old self, verse 22, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, to put off your old self. Now, there's two, there's two ways this can be translated, and I love that both of them are accurate. It's translated to lay aside. It can be translated indicating a completed action. This is your position in Christ. The old is gone. But here's the other way. It's an action for believers to carry out, so it's almost an imperative. So it is your old self has already been crucified, step one. So step two, live like it. If this is who you really are in Christ, if this is how you learn Christ, then this is what your life should look like. No longer walk like the Gentiles. Begin to take off the old and put on the new. Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. As we think about what it looks like to walk in Christ, as we think about our ministry in Christ, how we are to maintain unity, pursue maturity, and, and pursue purity. We think about being a disciple. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Following Jesus is not a religious adherence for spiritual achievement. It is a radical abandonment of self for the prize of living and walking in Christ. I say that to say Paul is writing to a church, to an area of churches, that need to be reminded that we are not to walk in sin and disobedience. And so I would say that to you today, that if, if you have dumbed Christianity down, to anything other than reckless abandonment of yourself. That's not how you learn Christ. We all have sins. We all have things that we struggle with. We all are struggling. And we're to lay them before his feet. We're to repent. We're to walk in obedience. We're to take off the old and to walk in new.